0: Donald Trump and his co-defendants waived their arraignments and entered pleas of not guilty this week. What does that mean? We'll break it down. But more notably for me, Michael Popak, Donald Trump filed an opposition to the speedy trial demand made by some of his co-defendants and former lawyers like Ken Chesborough and Sidney Powell. Donald Trump also asked to have his case severed from the other co-defendants. And with that kind of launched total chaos and disorder among the various criminal defendants in this Georgia case, each pointing fingers at each other, asking their case be severed or separated from this case, and so on and so forth, and and failing to understand, I think, Popak, the sweeping power of Georgia's RICO law. Speaking of failing to understand, Mark Meadows, Trump's former chief of staff and co-defendant in the Georgia RICO case made the shocking decision to waive his Fifth Amendment right and testify in Georgia federal court as part of his effort to try to remove the state criminal RICO case to federal court. But clearly, Meadows either did not understand the risk he faced in doing this or once again underestimated Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. Note, do not underestimate Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis. And Mark Meadows has found himself now in a perjury situation where he lied on the stand, he was exposed on cross-examination, and potentially a new criminal charge could be brought against him, and the case could likely be remanded back to state court as well. Michael Popak and I will break that down. And let's not forget that this week began with another major hearing in Trump criminal cases, a trial setting conference was held in Washington, D.C. Felt like that took place a year ago. Nope, that was this past week. I had to check my calendar again in Washington, D.C. before federal judge Tanya Chutkin. Trump's lawyers during this hearing were rude abrasive, and consistently misrepresented things, facts, and cases, even cases that Judge Tanya Chutkin presided over, and Judge Chutkin was not having it. She set trial for March 4th of 2024, leading Donald Trump to whine like a petulant third-grade child and call her names and say that she is a Marxist. Also, Special Counsel Jack Smith had a significant Breakthrough, I think in the Southern District of Florida case before Judge Eileen Cannon, it was a bit buried in this Garcia motion opposition filed by one of Donald Trump's co-defendant. But it's big news, I think, learning for the first time that three additional witnesses are no longer going to be represented by a lawyer paid for by Donald Trump's political action arm. And with all of these criminal cases taking place, let's not forget that the civil fraud case against Donald Trump, the Trump organization, and his adult kids other than Ivanka, that's still set for trial in early October. Yes, this October. Yes, that's one month away where New York Attorney General Letitia James is seeking at least 200 $50 million and an injunction to shut down the Trump organization, Donald Trump, and his adult kids from doing business in the state of New York. Letitia James filed a summary judgment motion. So did Trump. What does that mean and what happens next? We discuss here. And finally, Four terrorists who were part of the Proud Boy extremist group were sentenced this week for crimes uh, on January 6th, 18 years for Ethan Nordian, 17 years for Joe Biggs, 15 years for Zachary Rell, and 10 years for Dominic Pozzola. Each were described as crying crocodile tears in court, begging to be able to see their kids one day, but as soon as those sentences were handed down, at least in Pozzola's case, he started screaming, out, we love Trump, Trump won. This goes to show you the level of maturity and criminality of these individuals and why we do Legal AF. i have Ben Micellis from Legal AF, joined by co-host Michael Popak. Popak, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. You know, I, I love the photos
1: before they go to, to into the court system, like the 19 mugshots that you put up where everybody's got some version of Jordan Peele's Us movies photo. Um, up. there, so happy to be, by by the look of the picture, to be in the criminal justice system in Georgia until they're not, just as the Proud Boys are all excited when they're storming the Capitol and trying to hang Mike Pence and killing people on the steps of the Capitol until they're then put through the grinder of the justice system, convicted of their crimes, and then have to face their maker in the form of a federal judge giving them sentencing. And then they're not so happy anymore. I'd like to do split screens. We can do it on the Midas Touch Network, of the photos of these people in their mugshots when they're goofing around for cash and what they look like the day they've got to bend the knee in front of a federal or state judge to be sentenced to prison.
0: You know, I've had a lot of people say, hey, Ben, you should do some merch regarding the mugshots and here, pull up the mugshots right there. Um, one more time. That's Donald Trump. Pull up the mug shots of all of the co-defendants together. There, yeah. There's, the us. I'm there's not, the us. I'm not wearing that ever, okay? I made the executive. <laughs> <laughs> I am not putting that on any shirt that I would ever wear. Put the children right? away. That's scary. And, 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 and nor do I want to put it on a mug because there's, yes, I could say like they're traitors and all of these things, which they are but it would put me in a very bad mood if I woke up every morning and saw those faces. So I made the call absolutely not with respect to, with respect to that. And by the way, Popak, I want to give you a special thanks for filling in on the Midas touch brothers podcast (laughs) for, Brett, where Brett's been uh, away for the past two weeks. He's coming back over this weekend. Um, We did something really cool also where you joined us for the after show that we have on Patreon at (laughs) patreon.com slash Midas Touch. That's P-A-T. R E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. Remember to spell it right. M-E-I-D-A-S-T-O-U-C-H. So you on Patreon.com slash Midas Touch, we have our after show. And you gave us the origin story, how you met me, how you became a lawyer, how you joined the Midas Touch network. I just will remind all of our legal efforts on the outset, go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch at some point and subscribe and hear about Popox origin story. We don't have outside investors here on the Midas touch Network or legal AF. so the way that we grow this platform is through fun ways like the emojis that you see in the YouTube chat which is the YouTube memberships and that's separate and the patreon memberships but that's how we grow it because we don't want investors telling us what to do all right let's get into it Popak. Yeah, sure. what, does it it. And, yeah. what does it mean yeah. that Donald Trump and what does it mean that Donald Trump and his co-defendants waived their arraignments and entered not gu- guilty please but then if you can Popak, after discussing that maybe just just break down. There's been a lot of filings this week. A lot of some people have filed speedy trials, severance motions, a lot going on. Try to break it down so that everybody yeah. understands the yeah. uh, what's going on here.
1: Well, let me, I think where it starts, and I did a hot take on it, I think it's going up soon, is where I tell my legal associates to start. You start with the rules. You start with the owner's manual for the court that you're in. And every court and every judge particularly, has a chamber rule. That's what I call it. It's with the judge's particular rules for their courtroom. And August the 24th, a little, little covered, I don't think anybody covered it, Scott McAfee, the new judge, six months on the bench, um, he updated his standing order related to all criminal cases in front of him. He when he first got on in February, yes, he's been on less than a year. He had a kind of a standard one. As soon as he got a he he got assigned the Trump case with the 18 other co-conspirators, he immediately updated his rule book. And if you looked at it, a lot of what we're watching now comes straight out of the things that are required in to practice criminal cases in front of uh, Judge McAfee, for instance, in his standing order, he says, "If you don't want to show up at your arraignment, that's okay. I'll set a time for it. In this case, on it was supposed to be on the sixth of September, and I still think certain of the defendants, uh, kind of the on the lower tier and those that may not have much money and, and don't have attorneys yet, uh, or maybe getting public defenders, they will maybe show up for these fifteen-minute time slots on the on this on the sixth uh, of September, but." In the standing order for Judge McAfee, it says straight out, if you want to file in lieu of an appearance, a, 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 a motion in lieu of an appearance to waive your appearance, that's fine. If you want to tell me what your plea is, guilty or not guilty in that paper, that's fine too. And so people are starting to do that. Donald Trump did it. Rudy Giuliani just did it. Um, others have done it. Ken Chesbro, Sidney Powell. And then some haven't done it yet because they one just got out of prison, out of jail, because he's been sitting there this whole time because he didn't have a lawyer and couldn't make bond. And so it, there, there's a this is quickly devolving, right as we as we slide down into entropy, as we fl- slide down into chaos. This is what happens when Donald Trump can't pay or won't pay for everybody's legal fees with bought and paid for attorneys so he can coordinate strategy. When you don't do that, which is what he's not doing apparently, and everybody's complaining about it. Jenna Ellis, For instance, who had been a huge Trump supporter, is now supporting DeSantis after she got almost her bar license pulled and is now complaining on social media that why isn't MAGA incorporated the PAC paying my legal fees and everybody's legal fees? Well, they're not. And so they're all getting their own lawyers. In fact, none of these defendants, we're going to talk later on about Mar a Lago, where there are groupings of defendants and co conspirators and witnesses behind one or two main lawyers. Here, there's like 19 separate lawyers, and none of them are coordinating as of yet. Some, because this is like, I said it on a hot take, this is like crabs in a bucket trying to get out, right? And they're stabbing each other as they fight. It's every man, woman, and child for themselves. Uh, and that's what we're watching. So one group wants to go to trial and try to catch Fawney Willis flat-footed. So that's, so far, that's Ken Chesbro, who we're going to talk a lot about today when we get to Mark Meadows, who wrote two major legal memos, if you want to call it that, pushing the fake elector scheme and the pressure campaign on Mike Pence. Um, He... Said, I- I'm ready to go right now. And the judge says, fine. Why don't you go on the 23rd of October? I'm talking about this 23rd of October, not some other 23rd of October. Like the same month that Donald Trump is already in that civil fraud case we're going to talk about later today. Ken Chesbro and Sidney Powell are going to go to trial. And rather than be caught at all flat footed, uh, the prosecutor, Fawny Willis, and her team said, ready. We're ready. And why don't we do all Talk about the bravado here, which I love, the brass of Fonnie Willis and her team. They didn't say, Judge, October, that sounds really early. They knew under speedy trial law in Georgia it was a possibility. That's why we gave her, you know, some good, good natured ribbing between March of last between this past March and when she finally got around to indicting. Where are you, Fawny? You said it was imminent. Well, she had to get ready for a trial. You see how quickly things move in Georgia; it's breathtaking the velocity. So she said, "Not only did she say I'm fine with October 23rd for those two, let's do all 19, including Donald Trump." Now, of course, that freaked out the others who aren't ready, like Donald Trump. He never wants to go early about anything. He wants to go never. So he's he's his lawyers are moving to uncouple. I I referred to it. If you're thinking about it pic, pictorially, this is a 19 car roller coaster that is hurtling out of control at hundreds of miles an hour each defendant in a car and now some of them like donald trump and others want to pull pins and take their car off the tracks and find out where it lands and so donald trump wants to sever his case away from the others to have his own personal table for one trial Uh, related to the criminal cases. And the others are like, yeah, me too. I want to do it by myself too. But that's not how a criminal RICO conspiracy is done. Each one of them is responsible for the 161 overt acts that are listed in furtherance of the conspiracy in the indictment alone. They're each responsible for each other's bad acts. So even though there's 34 counts or whatever it is in the indictment and only a certain subset against each person, a lot of them were like, we want to sever the indictment too. We don't want the jury to know about the other bad things and counts of other people. But that is the very nature. That's why she brought a conspiracy case and a RICO case to boot. So that should not fly. I think this case gets separated, but not the way any of them anticipate. I think it's just going to be like basically cut down in the middle if they can. It'll be like nine here and 10 there, if unless there's a courtroom big enough to hold all 19. And then I think it's going to be that. That's one group. The, the next group want to run to federal court. And we're going to talk about how badly that is going for Mark Meadows. If he is the test case, if he's the canary in the coal mine, it is going terribly. The canary has died. Do not run to federal court because Fawny Willis is waiting for you there also. And she she is loaded for bear. And she's ready to put on her mini trial and cross-examine you if you're stupid enough to take the stand. All of this, though, to back up from what I originally said, Ben, starts and ends with Judge McAfee's rules. And some people might be saying, and I'll turn it over to you on this one. Some people might be saying, God, Georgia? Criminal procedural law is so different, so alien, to use something we talked about earlier today, than criminal law in federal court. And you're right. In federal court, there's a hearing about everything. You don't like the order of the judge, you ask for a hearing. You don't like the brief somebody filed, you ask to file another brief. And everything is done in in this kind of fashion. We've had a dozen hearings in Mar-a-Lago. We've had Two or three already in Jan Six with Judge Chutkin. You know how many hearings we've had in Georgia already, even though they've been arraigned, had their bond conditions set, and a trial be set? Zero. <laughs> zero. There hasn't been one, I don't want people to think Midas Touch and Legal AF has fallen down on the job, that we didn't cover a hearing that happened. Scott McAfee has set bond conditions, told people what they can and can't do on release, arraigned them, set trial dates, and he's never had anybody in his courtroom yet. That is Georgia procedural law, and that is the rock and a immovable object that all of these, uh, that vice that they are all now in that only one person really is expert at running, which is funny, Willis. They're in big trouble.
0: When the hearings do take place, when the trials <laughs> do take place, they will be videotaped as well. They will be streamed on YouTube. They will be streamed here strained here on the uh, Midas Touch Network YouTube channel. So that's also different that you get to actually stream th- things live here, unlike in federal court as well. Your analogy to the roller coaster, Popak, is so apt because if you think about it, sometimes you don't get to choose. Most of the time, you don't get to choose who's going to be on that roller coaster with you, right? But you all got on that roller coaster together. There are people in the front of the roller coaster. There are people in the back of the roller coaster. There are people in the middle of the roller coaster. And your experience on the roller coaster may be slightly different depending on which seat that you take but that's the roller coaster right here that we have on screen and what was so interesting as well as as you watch and you and you read these severance motions and you see the arguments that these co-defendants are trying to make about why they weren't on the roller coaster it is some of the most frivolous and and frankly at times kind of humorous and, and, and funny as they're trying to get off the roller coaster, the criminal fascist Rico roller coaster that they all said, hey, this would be a good ride to destroy American democracy. And now they're like, hey, um, I don't want to be on this roller coaster anymore. So with Sidney Powell, she was arguing and uh, her kind of severance motion and her thing, she was saying, look, I wasn't even Donald Trump's lawyer. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's like wait wait that's your argument your argument was that you never represented Donald Trump at, at any point in time. So this whole time it was like Halloween you were just dressing up as Donald Trump's lawyer showing up on TV when people announced that you were Donald Trump's lawyer. You just allowed them to say that. You just created the false impression like you were doing legal work on his behalf in lots of locations. So either directly or indirectly, you were doing that. But that was one of her- so, so,
1: so wait, wait, before you leave, you got a great photo up there. So when Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis are standing there at a podium with her in the middle, who are they representing? The cam- It's either the campaign or Donald Trump personally. Who is it?
0: Exact. Well, th- that's why it was kind of laughably uh, ridiculous argument. And then Chesborough's argument, because Chesborough invoked the Speedy Trial Act first, I guess, not expecting that others were going to invoke it as well, which requires that the case be tried before November 1st. But then Sidney Powell invoked the Speedy Trial Act. And it's like that's a disaster for Chesbro because now he's going to be sure sh- he's potentially sees himself shoulder to shoulder sitting right next to Sidney Powell in court. The release, the Kraken lady, like the craziest, most dangerous criminal of them all sitting next to and weirdest. Sitting next to him, and and so he did a pleading. He filed this document in court. Pull that up one more time, salty. The never met said. her. Never sent an email to her. Don't never know physically her. Physically met her. Ne- 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 physically never physically met her. Never called her. Never texted her. Never received. You know. And then he talks about how he's never been to Coffee County, and a lot of the charges against her involve the theft of election data at the Coffee County. Office with Kathy Latham, who was the former Republican chair of of the Coffee County Republican of the Republican Party, and so he goes, I don't even know these people. And Popak, to your point, that's fine for purposes of RICO. You played your part in the racketeering scheme, like in the in a sprawling mafia style case. It doesn't necessarily require that the you know mafia lieutenant in you know, Boston know the mafia lieutenant in New Jersey. You know, they could have their their own separate turfs and territories, but they're ultimately still working as part of this common plan and scheme for the crime family. And that's what exists here. That's why I agree with you, Popak. You're going to see these two groupings. I think you'll see uh, October trial grouping, which will be live on TV, streamed here on the Midas Touch Network. And then you're going to see a later one.
1: He he said, and by the way, that whole streaming thing, back to what I said before, right out of Scott McAfee's standing order. Everything. He believes that live television, re- televising of judicial events is an appropriate transparency for democracy. It's baked right into his order. And then... Um, he puts it on YouTube, the recorded version. So I don't know how they're going to exactly do it here, whether YouTube's going to be the framework or it's going to be a, a court system of live streaming, but he believes in live streaming and he knew he had this case when he issued that particular order. Chesbro goes even one step further, which shows that he either doesn't understand Rico conspiracy and how it's pled and what needs to be proved by the prosecutor, or he does and he's just. Um, he's, just, he's just lying again in his pleadings because he says, and I want to know who the unindicted co-conspirators are and the ones that aren't named, and I have the right to know that too. No, you don't. The, 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 the reason RICO coming out of the 70s in the hands of prosecutors like Fawny Willis is such a powerful and successful tool, one that has been that power... And that ability of a prosecutor to do it this way has been upheld in hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of cases, uh, state and federal. So you, we're not going to go back and challenge what happened in 1970 when this law came out and the Georgia law came out. You know, 20 years later, that's over. It is. It is constitutional. It is appropriate, but it is like no other individual criminal uh, count out there. It is its own beast. And it's the reason it should strike fear in the hearts of defendants when they when they open the indictment. It's one thing to say, crap, I got indicted for a felony. It's a whole nother world to say count one is a criminal Rico with 18 other people, 161 overt acts and a number of predicate acts. That is a bigger deal because it, I'm not saying the burden is lessened on the prosecutor, but her... Her burden of proof on the elements means that she can put on evidence, as you just laid out, Ben, against all of them, and then the jury is left trying to figure out, and yes, there's a slop-over effect. Some people might say, but what if they get confused and there's a little bit of a slop-over about they're really mad about what Sidney Powell did in Coffee County, but but then they're less mad, but yeah, but it's one big conspiracy. So there is that slop-over. That's why... Co-defendants fight like mad to get out of RICO conspiracies because they're going to get tarred and feathered with other people's bad acts in front of the jury, and they don't want that to happen. And that's what we're watching now, this fight to the death to try to avoid it. And now they think, like Chesbro, he gets to pick who's going to be next to him right? Then he shouldn't, I I said it on a hot take, if he wanted to be tried by himself at a table for one at the prosecution, then he should have committed the crime by himself. But because he's alleged that she has to make, back to Fawny, she has to make out to the jury with all the elements that this was a sprawling conspiracy that had multi-level parts and multiple participants. That's her burden. And if they find there was no conspiracy, which I find it hard to believe given the weight of the evidence we've seen already. If they do that, then she has lost. It's all or it's binary. The switch is either on, there's a conspiracy. They could find a conspiracy, the jury, and find certain people who weren't part of it. But if they don't find the conspiracy, which I, I, I think there's absolutely no chance of that happening, then, then she's done. She's out. She's lost. All 19 go free.
0: Well, look, the conspiracy, like the hard work's been done. Now she just has to introduce the evidence and she lays it all out in the indictment I mean you could literally read from the indictment as your opening statement and then say okay here's the email here's the document here's the communication here's the text messages here's the video here's the tweet here's all of that you know and chesbro just wants to be like all I did was send 18 emails he says that in that motion to to sever all I did was do 18 emails well look if all you did was one email and the one email was a crime that's that's a crime Crime, So he doesn't want to be anywhere near Sidney Powell because I think he thinks that the types of crimes that the way he's going to put on the defense is, this is just what lawyers do. They they write emails, they write memos, and he's going to try to confuse the jury that that conduct is just what lawyers do, which it's absolutely not. And then you've got Sidney Powell, release the crack
1: gun,
0: you know, and then like breaking into election offices. And I think the jury's going to look uh, what? <laughs> what is going on here? That's what's happening. And by the way, that same look that I just did. Uh, what's going on here? You know what that was like, Popak? It was Mark Meadows when he took the stand. <laughs> what a humiliating performance on the stand. Now, I don't. It still could be a potential close call because because 11th Circuit case law on removals consistently emphasizes that there is a very, very low threshold to remove a state court case to criminal, uh, in a criminal case to remove a state court case to federal court. Um, But Regardless, he's further incriminated himself. Here's basically the standards for removal of a state to federal case. Number one, was the individual a federal official? Two, were they acting under the color of their federal authority? And number three, do they have credible federal defenses? And An evidentiary hearing was held earlier this past week before Judge Steve Jones. An evidentiary hearing is what it sounds like, evidentiary evidence. So you can't just do what these MAGA Republicans do on Fox or Newsmax, and just, you know, beat their chest and say whatever. You have to show facts and and, and evidence. And so apparently, Mark Meadows figured there's no other way to try to get the case removed to federal court, or he was just so uh, deluded by. His buying his own crap that he sells people that in he didn't think he was going to get cross-examined. I'll get your take on it. You know, so so he took the stand and it did not go very well for him as he tried to establish those elements and the cross-examination from Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's team was fast furious and fierce. And they got him stumbling and mumbling. And he didn't know what his job was. And he acted like he was confused about what the chief of staff was, so much so that in the post-evidentiary hearing briefing, there was a footnote where Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis is like, you don't even have to credit anything he said because he perjured himself. He lied about everything. He claimed he didn't know about the fake electors. Then we had to show him an email where he said, I'm the one coordinating the fake electors. He consistently used the term we in all of his emails. And then when cross-examined on why he used we, he's like, That's just what I use, but I didn't actually mean to say that I am part of we. So she's like, that's just ridiculous, (laughs) okay? When he says we, it means we. He lied consistently, and we had to show him emails that demonstrated while he was on the stand that he lied. Judge, this case should be remanded. The criminal enterprise has nothing to do with official federal duties. It's purely political and criminal political trying to change votes from the winning candidate to the losing candidate has nothing to do with the chief of staff role at all Popak, what'd you make of all of this
1: yeah i have a new name for mark meadows it's mark mummy i don't know what he was doing up there on the stand i'm not sure he knew what he was doing up there on the stand and it was it was legal malpractice and maybe more for his lawyer to let him take the stand to testify as he did because as you said and we'll talk about the criminal act of perjury We talk about it a lot perjury perjure himself it's perjury it's a crime and i think it's a crime two ways i think it's a crime federally because you just lied to a federal judge and i think the northern district of uh atlanta the northern district of georgia sitting in atlanta the the uh, the u.s attorney's office should be opening up an investigation as to whether mark meadows lied and i'm going to Go through some things that Mark Meadows knew or should have known from his from the Jan 6 report that came out in December on this very issue. That if his lawyer had seen this and let him take the stand, it's legal malpractice. If his lawyer didn't see it, that's legal malpractice. And if he let him lie, that's suborning perjury, which is a crime in itself. But I think it's a crime two ways. I think it's a perjury crime for federally, and I think it's a it's a crime in state. Because it's a it's ultimately a state proceeding. He called it a civil proceeding, a state proceeding involving Fawny Willis. I think she can also prosecute him. Why does that matter? Because if Jack Smith wants to continue to squeeze Mark Meadows, he just got a major unforced error for Mark Meadows to use against him to get him to testify. Because everybody wants Mark Meadows to flip. We th- sort of thought he flipped with the feds, but then we read the indictment for Jack Smith and we didn't really see him mentioned much in there, not even as an unindicted co-conspirator. So we were a little concerned. Then Fonny Willis indicted him and we're like, okay, well, he's not doesn't seem to be cooperating appropriately. How is he cooperating with the feds if he's being indicted by state? So this is actually, she must, Fonny Willis's team must have been salivating when they heard that Mark Meadows was going to take the stand. And because that is a rare opportunity for a prosecutor to get a defendant under oath and be able to show that they're committing a new crime, which she can then use. She could she could revise the indictment now, amend and supersede her indictment to bring a count. And I think based on what you put up on the screen, she will. Now let me explain why we know he lied and what he lied about. He said a lot of things that were not true, but the one in, in particular that she was able to show perjury, she will be able to show perjury, is he said he had no involvement in the coordination of the fake elector scheme that's the sentence no involvement in known at all he wasn't like i can't remember i can't recall maybe i did he didn't equivocate at all he said point blank i have no involvement and that can't possibly be true if he had read um uh section 3.2 of chapter 3 of the jan 6 committee report on this very issue, which I will now read aloud because it's right out of the cross-examination of Fannie Willis, we know her team read it. And and I wanna talk about Cassidy Hutchinson in a minute, who's also cooperating with Fannie Willis, the former assistant to Mark Meadows. This is is from Ben, this is from the uh, report. In early December, the highest levels of the Trump campaign took note of Chesbro, Ken Chesbro, who we talked about, fake elector plan, and began to operationalize it. On December 6th, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows forwarded a copy of Chesbro's November 18th, 2020 memo to Trump campaign senior advisor Jason Miller, writing, this is Meadows, let's have a discussion about this tomorrow. Miller replied that he just engaged with reporters on the subject, to which Meadows wrote, if you're on it, then never mind the meeting. We, there's that we again, just need to have someone coordinating the electors for states. I don't know how we can mean anything but we in that sentence. Miller clarified, the report continues, that he had only been working the PR angle and that they should still meet, to which Meadows answered, got it. Later that week, Miller, Miller sent Meadows a spreadsheet, get this, Ben, from the Trump camp that the Trump campaign had compiled. It listed contact information for nearly all of the 79 GOP nominees to the Electoral College on the November ballot for, we could fill in the blank here: Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Uh, and on December 8th, Meadows received a text message from a former state legislator in Louisiana recommending that the proposed, get this, here's the quote, proposed electors for Arizona, Michigan, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Nevada all meet next Monday at their state capitals, call themselves to order, elect officials, and cast their votes for the president. Then they certify their votes and transmit their certificate to Washington. Isn't that a very pithy recitation of the conspiracy? Meadows replied, we are. There's the we again. So I don't know how You don't know what your own reports and people have testified against you and then get on the stand and say it didn't happen and you weren't involved. I'm not even going to read because it'll take too much time. The whole other set of text messages and emails that are reflected in the Jan 6 report, I I tell people to go online and look it up, uh, related to Mark Meadows in chapter two on the chapter entitled, I just want to find 11,780 votes. Like it's not hard to find this in the report. So let me just end it with Cassidy Hutchinson, because she will turn out to be the ruin of Mark Meadows and put him in jail. Cassidy Hutchinson, his former assistant, who once had, to continue our theme for the show, a bought and paid for lawyer by Trump PAC, who told her not to remember things that she told him she remembered. She then switched counsel, hired Jody Hunt out of Washington, a very well-respected former DOJ official who actually worked with Mark, who was um, Jeff Sessions' lawyer at one point. And then she flipped her testimony, uh, uh, cooperated with the Jan Six committee, and testified in November to Fonnie Willis' special purpose grand jury. Didn't just testify, the reporting is she is cooperating, meaning she turned over willingly all her texts and emails. I am sure Cassidy Hutchinson has been guiding Um, all of the strategy and cross-examination. And that's the the witness that when she comes through that door, that wooden door in a trial, Mark Meadows is cooked. Somebody of this 19, Ben, is going to have to cut a deal. They can't all go to trial. And then they're going to start turning on each other. First among them, the person who just committed perjury and has another set of crimes and a lead witness against them. He was, I mean, I've never seen anything. And to your point, and I'll turn it back, you said at the top, Maybe under the specific law of the 11th Circuit, he made skate, skate free. But it's like that old joke, Ben. You know, the operation was a success, but the patient died. Sure, you may get your removal, but look what you've done to you in your case.
0: Exactly. You've now, even if it's removed, you then have to address your motion to dismiss. And now before Judge Steve Jones, you perjured yourself. And now you're going to claim that the supremacy clause... Gives you immunity where you've basically admitted to the Hatch Act violations. You basically confessed to it and then committed perjury before the judge. That's his best case scenario right now. Uh, but ultimately, we'll see what Judge Jones does. You know, it, it's it's again. It's emphasized, emphasized over and over again in the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal about removal being a very, very low standard. And so the argument by Meadows lawyers is even if there's some nexus to an overt act setting aside the underlying crimes, the mere fact that Meadows may have been doing something a chief of staff does like as at a level of generality, like setting up a call. Granted, the call was on a topic that was a felony criminal conspiracy. The Meadows argument is, look, he just set up a call, so therefore, it should be removed to federal court even if The actual crime the call led to that he was involved in is not something in the course and scope. He set up the call. And Fulton County District Attorney Phoney Willis is like, no, you have to focus, Judge, on the criminal charges and the criminal enterprise, not some scintilla of a nexus to one of the overt acts where the overt acts led to criminal conduct. So there's a level of.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you something, because because uh, I think we need to touch on it. I want to get your opinion. So the judge asked for additional briefing on a particular point to show where his, head's, his head is at before he makes his ruling. And he asked particularly for the lawyers to comment on whether all of the overt acts that he's, that Meadows is alleged to have committed in furtherance of the conspiracy, if some of them are clearly political, but others in the judge's mind may not be, may be ordinary run-of-the-mill, non-political chief of staff stuff, what happens to the removal analysis under the statute? Ben, tell me what you think that means about where Jones is at and where do you think it should end up in terms of some or all or bits or pieces of the act, some being clearly chief of staff stuff and some being no way political crimes.
0: I read it as beneficial for Fawny Willis actually in setting the record for appeal to make the issue as discreet as possible. I mean, I think it was kind of a, a, a kind of a softball toss. And then Fawny Willis responded a finding that at least one but not all overt acts attributed to the defendant would not be sufficient to authorize removal. And what she's saying is, look, focus on the criminal conduct was outside the course and scope. Not that there's some potential nexus to an overt act. And again, the the reason why we're even in this, like, why is he? Why is the judge asking the question? Right? Like, why doesn't anybody know? Hey, this other case is just like this because this has never happened before in history. We've never had to look at the like uh, relationship between a federal criminal removal statute and the fact that a former administration that disgraced the White House engaged in a criminal racketeering conspiracy and tried to overthrow our democracy and then have the audacity to use the federal removal (laughs) statute to try to get the case removed to federal court by saying that their crimes to overthrow democracy were in the course and scope of federal law. Can I make one last comment on
1: that? Sorry. Yeah. And Fonny Willis, Ben, put what you just said just so perfectly. When she when she's opposing this federal officer trying to get the benefit of going into federal court because in his view he's being prosecuted for just doing his job as a federal officer she said in her briefing you got it ass backwards the reason for the federal removal statute is that the state shouldn't be interfering with a federal officer's duties or responsibilities Here, a federal officer, and not just one, are interfering with the state officer's duties and responsibilities. It's exactly backwards, and that can't be the basis of federal removal. When he calls up, because one of the elements of his conspiracy is a conspiracy to have a public officer, state officer in Georgia, look past his oath of office, right? and get a conspiracy to make him not abide by his oath of office, that's feds interfering in state, not states interfering in feds. And I think that's something that that Judge Jones, who's really smart uh, and is asking the right questions, is gonna have to grapple with. But I love her point, disregard everything the mummy just said, because he's a liar. (laughs)
0: No doubt about it. And look, don't mess with Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis, because that briefing right there was some of the most sophisticated, intelligent, but also like pithy. It just got to the point in such a in such a perfect way. I would put it on par with the briefing we've seen by Jack Smith's team. And sometimes feds have the reputation of being kind of the better on paper writers and the state prosecutors kind of the more like better in like, you know, the, you know, trials and RICO cases. But, her briefing right there, I'd put it on par, and, and even potentially, you know, yeah, you know, I, I thought stronger than even any of the other briefs that I I read. Yeah. Anyway, we'll speak a little bit more about Special Counsel Jack Smith, some big news there as well, and then we should talk about New York Attorney General Letitia James. She has that civil case ready to go uh to trial in like the next 30 days i mean let's not forget and she's saying now that there were years based on the undisputed evidence she believes where donald trump committed a fraudulent valuation scheme as much as 2.2 billion dollars in one year alone we'll talk about that and more when we come back from this quick break
1: if you have a family like i do you know how much your loved ones depend on you in a worst case scenario you wouldn't want them to worry about money Policy Genius was built to modernize the life insurance industry. Their technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers and in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $25 a month for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer coverage in as little as a week and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius has licensed award-winning agents who can help you find the best fit for your needs. They work for you, not the insurance companies. That means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Policy Genius is for parents, caregivers, and anyone else who has people who depend on them. They simplify the process of getting life insurance so you can protect the people you love. There are no added fees, and your personal details are private. No wonder they have thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot. Your loved ones deserve the financial safety net. You deserve a smarter way to find and buy it. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. This is Michael Popak from Legal AF. If you're like me, you understand the pains of choosing what to wear. Let's face it. Most clothes are uncomfortable or too tight or are never actually the size you really are. Not to mention the annoyance of trying to put a good outfit together. And when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours before you have an important meeting or dinner. And then you got to change all over again. Everyone wants to dress the best and look good at all times because, frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Rhone's Commuter Collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Rhone helps you get ready for any occasion with the Commuter Collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, one-quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Rhone Commuter Collection. Rhone's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way from your commute to work, to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident without the hassle. With Roan's Wrinkle Release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. And with its Gold Fusion Anti-Odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I absolutely love Roan. As you can see, this has truly become my go-to commuter fit and on the Legal AF podcast recordings. We're on the move a lot, whether it's jumping from meeting to meeting or catching a flight or an important dinner. The Rhone commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and comfort of the collection is undefeated. Even after I wear it all day, I still feel super fresh because of that gold fusion anti-odor technology. The commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to com slash Legal and use promo code legalaf to save 20% on your entire order. That's 20% on your entire order when you head to R-H-O-N-E slash Legal promo
0: code legalaf. Find your corner office. Welcome back to Legal AF. Popox ad reads are... Just simply the best, Popak. There are sponsors, and I make sure after those ad reads that I buy anything that you're selling, that you're wearing, that you're eating, that you're doing. I just said, Popak, Pope. How can I be like Popak? Is basically how I go about. It. So, 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 Popak. Uh, more, more than how I can be like Popak, though, I think about how can I be as efficient as federal judge Tanya Chutkin, because. Not only is she being incredibly efficient with her docket in the Washington, D.C. federal case brought by special counsel Jack Smith, she's really asserted herself as a judge amongst judges here, um, really taking command of all of the Trump criminal cases, even though she's not involved on any of the other ones other than the D.C. case brought by special counsel Jack Smith for Donald Trump's efforts to try to overthrow our democracy, but she's let it be known in a world of inexperienced judges like Judge Eileen Cannon and just other judges in general that she's the one who will be having her case go first and that, um, you know, the the importance of that case, but just how she is not going to let Donald Trump or anybody just make a mockery of the courtroom or get it, you know, be disorganized. It's just pitch perfect judicial work right now and you know so much has happened that like I, I look back and I said, was this the week where she set trial? Uh, because it feels like that was ages ago. But no, that was that was this week where on Monday, the first day of the week, the same day there was that evidentiary hearing of, of Meadows, and there was also an evidentiary hearing, I'll uh, mention in passing, of, of Peter Navarro, one of Donald Trump's top aides, who tried to assert executive privilege in his trial next week. And there, another D.C. federal judge, Judge Amit Mehta, called Peter Navarro's. Evidence, not evidence, said it was weak sauce. That was an exact quote from Judge Meta and denied Peter Navarro's ability to make this executive privilege defense uh, in his trial in Navarro went out and started begging people for money and just whining and and, and complaining. But back to Judge Chutkin, that uh, status conference, trial setting conference was held on Monday. You had Donald Trump's lawyers led by John Loro. You had uh, the Jack Smith's team led by Molly Gaston there. And you had Trump's lawyers just saying, Judge, you have all these other cases that have taken two years. And then Judge Chutkin says, excuse me, those are my The case that you're citing is before me. I know why that case took two years. That was because of COVID or that was because there were multiple superseding indictments. So don't misrepresent the cases before me. You know, and then you would have Donald Trump's lawyer say, this is a miscarriage of justice. We are not going to be ready. And then you'd have Jack Smith's team led by Molly Gaston and and Tom Wyndham, at this hearing saying, Judge, these are the same lawyers who were on a media tour saying Trump's ready. They said it three days ago on on, on the news. They said Trump is ready to go. Alina Habba said Trump is ready. He's smarter than anybody in the world. And so therefore, he's ready to go. They've had access to all of these things. I, I thought another interesting point before turning it over to you, Popak, here is One of the things that Donald Trump's lawyers did not argue, which just goes to show you all of the lies that Donald Trump, MAGA, and Fox spew, they didn't say, judge, all of the January 6th committee records are are, are destroyed. That would be a pretty good argument, right, if you wanted to delay a trial that all of the records are destroyed. That's the first argument I would make if I was representing somebody is to say that all the records are destroyed because that's what Fox is lying about and Trump is lying about. They actually made the opposite argument, right? They said there are too many records. We're not able to review. We're not going to be prepared in time while they're doing the, the media tour and saying that they are going to be prepared. And so Jack Smith's team saying, well, a lot of those records, it's like the January 6th committee records that we turned over are a million records. The Secret Service records are about 3 million records. The other outright records belong to them. So there really isn't that big of a universe of documents here. And by the way, they they, they said that they're ready. So Chutkin set March 4th, 2024 as the trial date. And I'm pretty confident that's going to stick. Popak, what'd you make of that trial setting by uh, Judge Chutkin? But also. Some of the yeah. other Jack Smith filings of, of of late.
1: Yeah, first of all, it's exactly what you and I predicted, that at the appropriate time, and the appropriate time is now, Judge Chutkin would step forward and make her case the historically important for justice case that it always was meant to be. And she is going to seize the historical moment that she knows she has. She make she'll go down in history as the judge that presided over the case that can I believe that will that that will result in the conviction of a former president for um, for conspiracy and election interference. And she knows it, and she knows the eyes of history are watching her. And um, I'm sure she's cringed a bit about how that same spotlight has, you know, as we like to say in the law or, or in in life. A spotlight, you either shine or you melt. Right uh, under, you know, a piece of carbon under pressure becomes diamond or dust. Judge Chutkin is a diamond. Judge Cannon is looking like she's dust. And uh, we knew at the appropriate time, whenever her proceedings, uh, when the when the moment turned to her, that she would take command. And as I said on a hot take, she's now bigfooted, which is the appropriate thing to do. All the other cases, soon as she's watching mindfully, what's going on in Georgia. And she saw that the March 4th date that Fawny Willis wanted for her trials looks like it was slipping because of Chesbro and Powell getting an October 23rd date, meaning on this giant chess board, Fonny had to take the position, okay, we'll put everybody on October. That freed up March, but she knew she knew, and you and I talked about this on a legal AF a couple weeks ago, that she would have to reach out to some other judges to get the March date that she wanted. She sort of reverse engineered this. She wanted March because it was right before Super Tuesday, and she had already kind of picked the date. She rejected both in her mind and in her courtroom with jo- with John Laro, the lawyer for Donald Trump, she told him point blank, she cut him off at the knees early on. I don't want to hear the words 2026 come out of your mouths in this courtroom. I'm paraphrasing. We're not talking about a 2026 trial. She did say it that way. So she reversed engineered. She wanted March, Fawney cleared herself out because of circumstances in Georgia, leaving one uh, state court criminal judge left. Judge Mershon, who was handling, was going to go to trial March 25th in the stormy daniels business record fraud new york state court case so as we predicted she is allowed all judges are allowed under the rules of judicial ethics and canons code of canons to call each other to coordinate for the purposes of coordinating related to a defendant or issue before them as long as making that phone call doesn't give a benefit to either side she has to make that determination for herself and she said i'm going to call judge bershon we know that because Judge Mershon, the the Unified Court System of New York spokesperson, issued a press release that said that Judge Mershon's chambers called two Tuesdays ago to to have a conversation with Judge Mershon. And we don't know exactly the content of that conversation, but the result of it is uh, the Stormy Daniels trial is not going in March, and the March 4th date is now reserved for the only case, let's be frank here, the only case that had a shot at going to trial before the election as necessary, as justice and our democracy requires, was the one defendant, four-count indictment by Jack Smith against Donald Trump. Not 18 to other defendants, not even three or four other co-defendants, like in Mar-a-Lago, one guy on the other side of the V, Donald Trump, four counts. I'm sorry, four conspiracies and four counts. That's it. And he knew if he if he lined it up that way, Jack Smith, and did a very surgically precise on purpose, leaving out, editing out things that would get in the way of making this case go to trial on a fast track. He knew he, he got the indictment, then he got the right judge, and then he went for the kill, which is we want to, I'm going to push the case in our request back in January, knowing, and of course they took the bait. That Trump's lawyers were going to ask for some ridiculous date, making him eminently more reasonable. And the judge said, yeah, I'm not doing January, but I'm not doing 2026. March, day before Super Tuesday, seems perfect to me. I already cleared it out with other people. She didn't say that, but that's what she did. Now, I had a debate with Karen on our Wednesday show about whether she also, as a courtesy, called Judge Cannon to say, I'm doing my trial in March. It may bleed over to your May date. Do you have a problem with that? Karen doesn't think that phone call took place. Let let me, before I go on to the other things that happened in the courtroom, do you think she called Cannon?
0: Yeah, I I think so. What do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think she did. I, I think she's not going to ignore Judge Cannon. And Judge Cannon, because this could be a six or eight week trial, it would naturally bleed into an argument that Judge Cannon's going to see in her courtroom. Like, we just got called to trial with Judge Chutkin. We can't do your trial in May, which of course Cannon will be receptive to. Like, all right, we'll reschedule. But I don't think, I think, Chutkin is a mature, sophisticated, seasoned uh, federal judge with tons more experience it's like we can't even compare she's like the babe ruth of judges compared to judge cannon um even in her own trial experience as a civil lawyer as a before she took the bench she tried 20 cases she's had hundreds of cases that she's tried including dozens of jan 6 cases in mm-hmm. front of her she is the she is the preeminent judge and we knew at the appropriate time she'd take control in the courtroom lauro found himself running into a uh steamroller in terms of Judge Chutkin having made up her mind, and when they said all these ridiculous things like "Judge," you know um, the the amount of data that we've gotten from Jack Smith—if you stacked it end to end, it would reach the height of the Washington Monument, which is a bizarre Freudian slip to talk about the Washington Monument, which was the site of where the, all the Proud Boys got 200 people together to attack the Capitol. Put that aside for a minute, and it would it would be the equivalent, Judge, of of reading War and Peace every day. And she said, Stop. You're acting like your client is some sort of poor person that doesn't have resources or financial means. And that's not the case. Put more people, have him hire more people to review the evidence. And, and I'd said this in a hot take Ben. And I know you, you know, since you've been in your career too, the days of people, you know, looking through boxes of physical documents are over. They've been over for over 20 years. We're in the world of e-discovery, electronic discovery. There may be a piece of paper here or there, but 99.9% of what Jack Smith is turning over to, um, as, as in terms of, dis- of discovery, required discovery, information to Trump is is in the form of a server. It's a hard drive. It's a thumb drive. It's electronic. So what you do, and I've been involved with complicated cases with terabytes of information, is that you load it into a database, right? There are a, a number of vendors that I won't promote because they're not currently advertising on Legal AF that you use. And then you sit on screens and if you need more people you hire them temporary lawyers temporary paralegals there's a whole industry, cottage industry in india of all places because they can do overnight work where they look at documents and you have them do the first cut so you might have to put 40 people on this but he's got money He just he I just got through reading again the 400 pages of his testimony to Letitia James in the New York Attorney General case, which we'll talk about next. And he said, I've got tons of money. I've got lots of money and more and more is coming in each day. He said the only expense I really have is attorney's fees. So she said, stop acting like you've got a poor person that you're representing like you're some sort of public defender. You've got a rich guy. Have him hire people. We're going to trial in March. And that's the end of it. You can make whatever ar- else argument you want and good day. But again, you see the contrast, Ben, or at least our audience does, between um, the the rough and tumble world of silent treatment in the in Georgia procedural law where you almost never get to see the judge. He hasn't even scheduled one yet. I don't, the judge hasn't scheduled a hearing in Georgia yet, and look what we look what you and I are reporting on on a daily basis between Cannon and Chutkin. But I love the result because it clears out the path. It announces to the world there is going to be, come hell or high water, a criminal case about Donald Trump's clinging to power. And his failure to transition peacefully and his involvement and leadership of a coup that needs to happen. And 63 or 65% of Americans, Republican, De- Independent, and Democrat, want it to happen to help them make their decision about who should occupy the Oval Office again um, before that election. And it's now a certainty. This should get much bigger press. Mar-a-Lago is interesting. And 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 if he did all the bad things of compromising our national security and hiding national defense information and 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 uh, and participating in a conspiracy, I want to prosecute it for that. But does that have to be done before the election? No, this case does, and everything else needs to take a back seat. Now, Jack Smith's not going to dismiss or 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 offer to stay the case in Florida, and we'll get there eventually today on the podcast. But he'll just use it to whipsaw Donald Trump as he focuses on the main case before Judge Chutkin in the court he wants, the jury pool that he wants, and home court advantage, Department of Justice.
0: Yeah, and so to clarify my statement before too, I think Judge Chutkin reached out to Judge Cannon. I don't think that Judge Cannon necessarily has the maturity to return that phone call or to pick it up as truly, but I, I think Judge Chutkin would have reached out and said, you know, hey, you know, just want to check on your scheduling. And I, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that Judge Cannon is capable of handling herself. I really like the more you learn about her, she really has a lot of Trump qualities. Uh, you know, her inexperience—it's okay to be inexperienced. We all start inexperienced, right? I'm inexperienced on a lot of things every single day, but where an experienced person tries to deal with their inexperience on certain topics is to ask questions, to ask for help, to admit where you don't know things. And, you know, when you look at how uh, someone in a leadership position, for example, would handle COVID, you wouldn't say that you know everything and you're the one who can solve it and you're the one who can fix it and inject bleach into your arms, right? Or or, or, or let's lock up the main expert, Dr. Fauci. That's where the Republicans are. That's when they attack evidence, they attack science, they, they just attack all logic. And Judge Eileen Cannon, to me, is really embodied in that, and on the other hand, Judge Chutkin is is evidence based, and you know it's like these MAGA people; they like they go and they do their interviews on Newsmax and Fox as though that's not a as though that's not a thing that then has a repercussion. Anywhere else, you know, and that's also the stochastic terrorism and gaslighting that they engage in, where they think they just say it to their one audience and then they go into a courtroom and they're like, we're not prepared, we're not ready. It was like, you just said you were ready. You just said you were prepared. You said you prepared the cross exam of former Vice President Pence already. You know, and so Donald Trump's now posting memes of Judge Chutkin calling her a Marxist. That's the, you know, and and reposting, she's a Marxist, she's a Marxist, she's a Marxist. It's just like, dude, just shut up. <laughs> it's like, in addition to this being a fascist, treasonous, traitorous, you know, criminal, malignant arts. Just like, just be quiet. Like, you know, and and you see so, this more and more with independence. I won't so, turn this. In. I won't turn. So this the in.
1: So, so the Senate confirmed a Marxist ninety to zero when she was up to be a federal judge. I mean, I, I mean, I just can't yeah. even. I just can't even. Yeah. Um, there's not. There's nothing in her past that suggests that she's a communist, a Marxist. Um, But, you know, these things are really weird. I I just want to mention this one thing, and I'm not defending Judge Cannon at all, but it's really weird if she's become a Trumper because that's not her background. The reason she was picked I just want to put this out there because I know the people in Florida that were involved in this is Marco Rubio, who's the senator from Florida, who's really I mean, I guess he could be a Trumper, but he's really not taking an active role. You barely see Mark. I, I kind of forgot he was a senator anymore. He so rarely shows up doing anything. But Marco Rubio had an opening in the Southern District of Florida when Judge Rosenberg moved off the court. And that particular position was open in the most rural hinterland of the Southern District in a little town called Fort Pierce. And he needed a conservative. He needed a Federalist Society member. He wanted a Hispanic. And the per and and the person that fit the bill, who also happened to live in Vero Beach near Fort Pierce and was willing to work out of the Fort Pierce courthouse was Eileen Cannon, a federalist society. I think I don't know if she went to Georgetown or she went to Duke. She went to one of our schools, I forget which one. Um, but it was really a Marco Rubio pick, not a before Trump became MAGA. But yes, I don't why she doesn't acknowledge. That she doesn't know what she's doing or talking about, and just get stronger staff to help her, because I saw a federal judge, even Ludwig, the federal judge, former federal judge, who's a lion Mount Rushmore of conservative federalist judges, even he has said, you make mistakes your first year or so on the federal bench, you just do, but you know um, you'll you learn from them and or you consult with more senior people. She's got Judge Altanaga, the chief judge, who was a state court judge in Miami that I appeared in front of, and then became elevated to the federal bench and runs the federal court. Go to her. Talk mm-hmm. to other judges to learn how to handle things. You don't have to hermetically seal yourself in some sort of you know uh, Fort Pierce thing and not take phone calls. Pick up the phone and call the chief judge of your district and ask her opinions about how to handle things. That's what I would do.
0: Well, I'll just say this. We'll have a respectful disagreement on Rubio there because I vehemently disagree. Rubio is a disgusting human being, um, and I feel strongly about that. When Eileen Cannon assumed office November 13th of 2020, um, 10 days before that on November 3rd of 2020, this is what Marco Rubio said when that MAGA Republican caravan attacked joe biden then candidate joe biden's uh bus remember when that happened marco rubio yeah, said we saying. love what they did and hope that happens in florida that's what marco rubio said so, that's true yeah you know, he is a dirt so, <laughs> so so let me give you that data point on marco rubio <laughs> 10 days later judge eileen cannon who you mentioned rubio appoints i like that but, that's
1: a good connectivity i like that i'm wrong
0: i stand corrected <laughs> uh, so we, we, we can ha- we can see and part of experience is popa corrects me a lot part of experience yeah. oh <laughs> so 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 one other thing I'll mention though, speaking about Judge Cannon, um, you, you've had all of these motions being filed in her court because it's just so, it's become such a shit show over there and so disorganized before her where you have like, she's inviting questions about right. this and what do you think about this? It's like, she like watches Fox and then asks a question. And then, so you had this filing by one of the co-defendant's lawyers Uh, one of Donald Trump's co-defendants, Carlos de Oliveira, who's being paid by Donald Trump's PAC, who spends the first you know, a few paragraphs of, of, of this opposition to this Garcia hearing regarding his potential conflicts of interest, basically saying he doesn't think there's any conflict of interest at all, that he's representing Carlos de Oliveira and that there are witnesses who may be testifying against Carlos de Oliveira. He sees no reason why Carlos de Oliveira should be briefed about these potential conflicts of interest. But then you go to the very bottom and it's like, Further, undersigned counsel no longer represents the other individuals, and new independent counsel is being made available to advise them going forward. So talk about burying the lead right there. He's basically saying that you don't need judge to have one of these conflict hearings about whether I'm conflicted to be representing witnesses who may be testifying against Trump and my client, because I'm not representing the witnesses anymore, which you'd probably lead with that, you know, but he kind of buries that. And, you know, you bury the lead when you're trying to. I don't know. I'm like, do you think we're not going to read that or Jack Smith's going to (laughs) go, oh, you put that in the eighth paragraph? I do. You've you've tricked me. I did. I mean, <laughs> how about how? Is, by the way,
1: Sadow did it too. The new lawyer for Trump in Georgia dropped a footnote that he's in. He's appearing in some sort of healthcare fraud case in yeah. front of Eileen Cannon in Florida. Talk about this—the this strange web that's been that's been created here. You know the the deal of the the D. Oliveira John Irving saga, which is a similar saga as to um, uh, Stan Woodward. You know, you've got two lawyers, Trump bought and paid for through the, through a Save America PAC. One of the, the reasons the Save America PAC is basically bankrupt um, and and has spent 72% of every small donor's dollars on legal expenses is because it, at least in Mar-a-Lago and in Jan 6th related things related to the committee, uh, Donald Trump ran around trying to, to get all the witnesses and all the Indicted and unindicted co-conspirators behind lawyers of his choosing, so he could be the puppet master. And you know that costs a lot of money when you gotta when you gotta buy witness intimidation. You know it costs a lot of cash. So there he was busy running around. Cassidy Hutchinson needed a lawyer, so he he hired like ten or twelve lawyers for the Gen Six Committee witnesses to put them behind um, a protective wall for him. And he started to do the same thing at Mar-a-Lago. The reason he's not doing it, Donald Trump in Georgia is because the people in Mar-a-Lago and in Jan Six are either still working for Donald Trump or work for his campaign or his PAC. So those people he felt like he had to protect. But others like Rudy Giuliani even, even though there's going to be, I think Midas Brothers, you guys are going to cover it. There's going to be a $100,000 buy-in fundraiser at the scene of a crime. They're doing it at Bedminster to raise money for Rudy Giuliani's legal defense fund. At Mar, they should have done it at Mar-a-Lago, but they- Bedminster, another place where he hid documents. Um, so they, there's no shame here, you know. They're just shameless in in what they're doing. But you got two issues that are being sorted out in in front of a judge who's not that experienced and/or is incompetent and/or is corrupt. Which is see, ju- see, you got me to say that, Ben. Uh, one <laughs> is Stan Woodward, who represented uh, represents Walt Nauda had represented Yasil Tavares, the IT worker, who's now cooperating with Jack Smith against the Oliveira and and, uh, Stan Woodward about the server, the destruction of the server at the boss's request to get rid of the video evidence and all of that. So this is what happens when Stan Woodward represents like five different people, including two former aides for Donald Trump, and one for Melania Trump, and then Walt, and then he had the IT director, and then De Oliveira's lawyer john irving had him and until with this recent filing had what's referred to in the indictment as witness number one which is a, a former the former head of maintenance before D. Oliviera, who basically cooperated with the government and told him that he's lying that the other guy's lying witness number two who is an assistant to donald trump who picked d Oliveira out of the video and told the uh, government that that was him when they had video surveillance footage of these guys hatching the plan in the basement. And then Trump employee number three, uh, which is a personal aide or former personal aide to the president, who had a chat with Nauda, which led Nauda to hightail it back to Mar-a-Lago to get on erasing the server. So how you represent all of these people, okay, who are all going to testify against each other with all the cooperating witnesses now, this is the focus of the Garcia hearing. So, so to try to do it uh, to try to clear out some of the brush, as you said, Ben, John Irving fired three of his clients. Now, I don't know if they they say independent. I don't know if that means another MAGA paid for lawyer or that just means somebody that's really completely independent. We'll have to see who appears on their behalf. And then John Irving said, and I have a new counsel working with me, a guy named Donnie Morrell, and Donnie's going to do the cross-examination of one of my former clients Should that should that come up. Look, this is a cluster F, we see a lot of filings on the docket that are sealed, 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 sealed. There's a lot of activity going on right now with Judge Cannon that has to do, I think, with some of these issues. For instance, John Irving has asked for the Garcia hearing about conflicts to be held in private in camera with the judge without the prosecution team present to preserve all of their rights. I don't know if that's going to be granted, but a lot of this stuff you and I are going to be able to report on once things get unsealed. We can only speculate about a bunch of entries. Actually, Salty found it for us, our producer, that recently went up on the docket there. So, but you're you're so right. You've got she invites chaos. She in because of her speculating about things she should know or understand, like how grand juries work, uh, which I never thought I'd have to. A federal judge would actually demonstrate their lack of knowledge in that area, fundamental to her job. Um, But, you know, oh, I'm interested. Let's have briefing on this and let's put the government back on its heels. She's spending so much time and she used to be a U.S. an assistant U.S. attorney. Okay, she's spending so much time trying to put the government back on its heels and making them jump through her imaginary hoops. Oh, you, you asked for ceiling, but you didn't ask for the ceiling of the document correctly. Oh, uh, you know, I don't normally give the other side another brief after the last brief in a motion practice, but I'm going to create another brief for this guy. It's just, it's utter chaos. And it stands again in sharp contrast to how things are being done up 95 in DC with Judge Chutkin.
0: Couldn't agree more with you there, Popak, especially you agreeing with me i appreciate that <laughs> but i know but i get it you know you, 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 your your instinct to especially as a florida federal litigator though is is collegiality i mean look i think it must be hard for you to you know you know like any florida litigator you know in an evidence-based way to not give a federal judge the benefit of the doubt and i i would I think I would feel the same way if you know if it was a Central District of California judge, you know who I've gone before, um, or or could go before. You know, y- y- you still want to have some hope that the federal judge is going to follow the judicial canons. But I think when it comes to the one named Cannon, she does not follow the canons. Eighteen years, seventeen years, fifteen years, ten years—those numbers. Seem to be keeping Donald Trump up late at night. Those are the respective sentences for the terrorists in the Proud Boys organizations. Ethan Nordian, 18 years, 17 years, Joe Biggs, 15 years, Zachary Rell, 10 years for Dominic Pozzola, and uh, Enrique Tario, who was hanging out at the White House. Uh, before christmas on december of 2020 his sentencing was moved to next week the judge was uh, under the weather and so that one got moved so i think that one will see the sentencing higher the theme here is that those who are convicted of seditious conspiracy got higher sentences this was uh the sentencing was handed down by judge tim kelly a trump appointee who I still think you gave these terrorists the a little bit of a benefit of the doubt that they didn't deserve. In most of these cases, the government was asking for twice as long as the sentences were. And the government got there by asking for a terrorist enhancement. And I think Kelly said, oh, well, these people aren't terrorists, you know, they're white. I mean, he didn't say that, but that's basically, as I read the, what they did was terrorism. Okay. And if these people looked different or had different last names, I think there would be a different outcome here. And then they go, Oh, I guess they are terrorists now. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, we still have some significant sentences. wanted to talk about this one, Popak, before we went into the summary judgment, because the summary judgment's in a civil case. But yeah. just briefly, anything you wanted to add to no, that, the I, judge not applying the terrorist enhancement, but those I think, was, I think
1: I think he was wrong. And I know where you're going with the uh, uh, people of different color would have gotten different results. I mean, Kelly has given out some lighter sentences and even dismissed some misdemeanor cases, um, he's he's not been the friend of the Department of Justice and sentencing. He got sort of, you know, he, he one of his sentences ties for the highest sentence being given out that of um, Stuart Rhodes, who also got eighteen years. So he gave somebody eighteen years, but he cut in half basically the Department of Justice's request. He agreed with the Department of Justice that the Proud Boys are worse than the Oath Keepers. That all right wing white supremacist soldiers for Trump are not built the same. It, like as I said on a hot take, that the proud boys, if the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys were in a dark alley together, the Oath Keepers would be scared of the Proud Boys. He he agreed with that. He acknowledged that they were worse. That even though the the Oath Keepers brought munitions into Washington D.C., the Proud Boys were at the heart and at the tip of the spear of every bad thing that went down physically um, in the attack on Jan. Sixth, having Donald Trump having lit that fuse. So he agreed with that. But he you know at, once again, and, and he's not the only judge. I mean, Judge Maida got tied up with the terrorist enhancement too. Um, they're loath to do it because I just think back to this concept of reverse engineering, they don't want to give out 30 year sentences for this, um, even though they should. And so they find a way not to. And the easiest way not to, in the way the sentencing guidelines are uh, operate. We've done this before, it is literally a chart. You give number points, you give points for each type of thing. The crime has a certain base level. Base level offense number. You give enhancements up and you give departures down depending upon, oh, you know, the the criminal acts. If the person has a criminal history, it's an enhancement up. Numbers go up, get added up. And the terrorism one is a big one. And that's why these judges are like cringing about, well, if I do the terror, if I find them terrorists, that they use violence to obstruct or influence government operations, which is exactly what they did which is also in the criminal elements, then I'm at a number I'm not comfortable with. So it's reverse engineering. The government wanted 33, 30, and 20 for all these people, and they got like a half. They got, they got a tie with the Oath Keepers guy, and it dis- it, but I don't know how he can do that because how do you, as a federal judge, in the same breath as acknowledging that the Proud Boys are worse than the Oath Keepers, then why is the leaders of both ending up at the same number? That makes absolutely no sense if i were the government i would consider appealing the application or the failure to apply the terrorist enhancement at the appellate level and, and send another message yeah. we'll see i mean right now they're busy convicting uh and they're doing an excellent job they're running the table on all of their trials they haven't lost as you said before they haven't lost a uh a jury trial since they've started this process which is remarkable i mean Let's be frank, the Department of Justice wins the vast majority of cases that go to trial because people should try to settle their cases and plead them out and they don't. And then I think it's like you have a 90% chance of losing at that point up against the government. But um, I, was, I was disappointed. I, I had prepared myself for it with Kelly knowing his track record, but I was disappointed that he cut it in half. I think that's why the government went so high. They're like, let's just where we're, do sentencing guidelines? The number is 48. And the 48 means this amount of months, judge. And for the judge to, to undo it, he. this is why there was a big struggle in the courtroom about the terrorist enhancement, as you noted before. But um, all right, they're going away for a long time. It's just not as long as I thought it was going to be.
0: Now let's talk about the New York Attorney General civil uh, case. Civil means the case is about money. Uh, money damages is what would be awarded uh, at the end of this process. Also, an injunction to try and which would, if instituted, would stop Donald Trump and his adult kids from doing business in the state of New York. Lots of money too. New York Attorney General Letitia James is suing Donald Trump for at least $250 million. I think at trial, she'll be asking for some, you know, even significantly more than that. She filed what's called a motion for summary judgment. Donald Trump also filed a dueling summary judgment to try to get the case dismissed. A summary judgment basically says, judge, there are no disputed facts here, so you should just decide even before a trial that if the plaintiff is the one bringing it, which is usually more rare, but plaintiffs bring summary judgment, judge, you should find that the defendant is liable. We don't even need a trial or we could just go to trial on damages. Where a defendant brings a summary judgment, they're saying, judge, there's no disputed facts here and, and, and such. You should dismiss this case. It should. There, we don't need a trier of fact to decide anything, just say that this case is dismissed based on the pleading. So that's what these dueling summary judgment motions are doing. Popak, I want you to break down what New York Attorney General argued and why it's so important. Also, this case goes to trial in about 30, you know, the next 30 days. It's going to trial in in, in early October. And then before you do that, though, I just want to remind everybody, I was just thinking about the debate that we had over Judge Cannon and and, and, and Marco. (laughs) Rubio, but I want to remind people to check out your origin story. At the after show at uh, Midas Touch Patreon site, so it's p a t r e o n dot com slash Midas Touch. You can hear all about Popok's origin story and how he joined the Midas Touch network. How I met Popok. That's Patreon p a t r e o n dot com slash Midas Touch. Popak, tell us about the and, New I, and I know community. we're thinking
1: about a potential Patreon for legal layoff. Maybe we'll put a poll up tonight in the chat and see if people want to have some special stuff that comes along with that great. as well. But but look, the um, I'll tell you the interesting thing is the thing you said at the top of the segment, Ben, is that nobody so far, and maybe we'll wake up on Tuesday and, or over the weekend even, and, and and I will be proven wrong, but the defense, the lawyers representing Donald Trump of the New York Attorney General case, which used to be Alina Haba, but now is her partner. Uh, her firm is still involved, and I think Chris Keiss. No one's filed a motion to um continue the case. Six months ago, Judge Angoron said, Hell or high water, I don't care. I know there's other trials that could be scheduled. It's October, the 20 whatever, and that's when we're going to trial. And you you'd think I'm sure they were waiting to see if any of these other criminal cases were going to give them a, a good faith basis to ask for a um a continuation, a stay of the case. But nothing's happened so far, and even though Letitia James just a month ago in an interview on a podcast of all places, not ours, although we we definitely invite Letitia James to come onto our podcast, any of the podcasts in the Midas Touch Network at any time, whenever she'd like, morning, noon, or night. Uh, but when she gave her interview, she said, "No, I fully expect that my case is going to get bumped, and that's okay. We'll pick it up at another time. But it's not going to get bumped because." A, you've got the immovable force of a state court judge that wants to go to trial and has said, I'm not moving it. And nothing has really happened since that would change the expectations of the case going to trial. So I assume they're up to their elbows and necks getting prepared for a 250 million dollar plus disgorgement case alleging civil fraud and in anticipation of that they now have to deal with with uh, what both sides i guess do with competing motions for partial summary judgment which is a statement by or motion by the the new york attorney general that says at least on the issue of the fact that he lied about a uh, value of his properties We don't even have to put on a trial in front of a jury in front of that the undisputed factual record judge as this judge noted in a prior hearing when he got frustrated based on representations that were being made in his court and he said the value of trump tower and his apartment there is empirical it's it it it, it's either the number that he said it was or it's some other number but we don't you know I don't really understand what the debate is over he he anticipated the summary judgment or called for it asked for it many many months ago and she's answered the call and filed a motion that has said he said his 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 apartment in New York is worth 300 million dollars just to put that in perspective the highest the the most uh the highest sale price for any unit in New York even on billionaire's row which is what it's called in Manhattan is I think 125 million dollars by a hedge fund guy out of Chicago, okay. Which is a beautiful apartment overlooking Central Park, like five five story apartment. For Donald Trump to say his apartment's worth 300 million dollars because he because he pumped up the square footage of it, that's where the judge said, "Look, it's either 10 thousand square feet or it's 50 thousand square feet." But that is a number that can be established. And she said, if you go through all of his trophy properties, the ones that he said in his in his deposition are the Mona Lisa or Renoir paintings hanging on a wall, they're whatever value people will place on them as trophy properties. She said, if you go through all these trophy properties, Mar-a-Lago, Bedminster Golf Course, 40 Wall Street, down by the Federal Reserve, um, which is a half-empty building that's been half-empty for a long, long time, Uh, Trump Tower, the apartment in Trump Tower. There is value. There is a number that can be established for it. There is a size and square footage of it. And he lied about it on on his financial statements. He lied about it about having independent appraisals. And we don't have to even go to a jury on it. There's no dispute. The fact that Donald Trump spends 400 pages of testimony to to her talking about and I'm not making this up that he just considers the price to be irrelevant except by an appraiser because his buildings are in his properties are like a Renoir or a piece of fine art and it's whatever somebody makes up a number to buy it for and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't relate to the amount of revenue that the property generates or its expenses or its rent roll you can't put a number on it like that because I own it I mean, that is not going to fly and that's not the law and that shouldn't go before a jury, right? His, his subjective thoughts about how much – listen, <laughs> I got a car – this is true. I've got a used car that I'm about to sell. I would love to sell that used car for $35,000. Unfortunately, the market tells me it's worth sixteen, And so that is what I'm going to be able to sell it for. And no amount of me talking about it is going to change the empirical yeah. truth of the value intrinsically. Take that, of that car group. example.
0: Take that car example because yeah, here's ahead. what Trump would do, right? He would say <laughs> that the car is not valued at even 35000 He would say the car is valued at a million dollars. And then based on saying that he now has a million dollars in equity basically in this yeah. car, he would then go to a bank or a lender or whoever and say, hey, Can you give me 80% loan to value on that million dollar car? So I'd like to have $800,000 on the million dollar car, and then I'll pay it back over 30 years, which then he then fights the banks and doesn't pay it back. But then he takes that $800,000 in cash that he's pulled out after making that representation, and then he spends it somewhere else and then does the exact same thing to that property. What then he'll take the $800,000 to do and say, oh, there's this piece of land over here in Westchester, I'm making it up. I'm going to go and buy that. And then he goes, well, now that's Trump land. So even though I bought that land with the $800,000 that I pulled out of the car, which is really worth $17,000, I now believe that my land is valued at $10 million and that there's even a $20 million easement on that $10 million property. So you know what, government? I now want a $20 million tax deduction on off of my taxes because I'll give you an easement on the land that I bought for 800,000, that I now claim is worth 10 million, then what does he do with the $10 million piece of property? He takes out $8 million, say 80 to 20, 80% loan to value, and then has repeated right. that his that's entire seven Springs,
1: by the way. That's actually, you know that. That's the that's actual property that's that he's it, yeah, that's,
0: you know. And I wanted he's to give been, it but, an but, example.
1: But I, and then, I and he'll then, and then what he'll, then what he'll yeah. say
0: though is, well, the, you know, the, hey, the banks are happy. I've paid back The loan on the car. They got their $800,000. Well, first off, where'd you get it? Well, when you now inflated the price of the other property and you pulled out a loan there, you robbed Peter basically to pay Paul. So sure, Paul's happy, but Peter may not be happy. Down the line, they may not be, but their happiness is irrelevant at the end of the day if you're basically using this Ponzi scheme style model, which is the way I just described it, be, you know, which is kind of what's going on here, um, because who's you know who's getting screwed? Like all of us. <laughs> like the people like Michael Popak, who's going to sell his car for 17000 You at home, you, you're not waking up, you know, people who watch Legal AF. I hope not. And thinking to yourself, <laughs> how am I going to overinflate the value of this and extract this and do that? No, you're going about paying taxes that you're supposed to pay. You're going about your life doing the things that you're supposed and to do. And the bank has you- a
1: finite amount of money. And if somebody takes out more than they're entitled to, it's less for the mom I and know, pop to to, to borrow from. This is the problem with this number and this is where she got him. In the, in the deposition, and I'm going to do a hot take on it later, the Doral Golf Course, which has the Blue Monster down in Florida, which I've actually, I haven't played, but I've been over there. Um, she she said to him, well, what do you think the value of that is? He says, oh, it's, I don't know, $2.5 billion. I said, really? How do you come up with that? You'd be thinking, in, you know, oh, well, he has appraisals. He's gone to a bank. There's, there's estimates. They've done cost-benefit analysis. They've taken the rent roll and the amount that... It, He said, no. He said, I I could build a lot of houses there one day. So have you done any of that research? Have you applied for any of the zoning variances to build a lot of houses on that? No, but any, this is what you said, it's a Trump property. And when it's a Trump property, it's a made up number in my mind. And to say that it's victimless, which is what he's been arguing, but the banks don't mind. I paid back Deutsche Bank all the money that I owed them last year when I refinanced everything else, as you said, as part of the Ponzi scheme. But they are victims because if it, it would be like, a, to continue these analogies, it would be like somebody who robbed a bank and then paid it back and said there's been no crime. The fact that he took out a billion dollars when he really, based on the value of the property, was only, was only, um, uh was only capable of taking 250 million that he paid back the whole billion doesn't mean he hasn't committed a crime sure they've been made whole but he they overlent to somebody who didn't deserve it that's called fraud and that's the basis of the case now he's filed his motion for some just to round it out he's filed his motion for summary judgment because they did get the defense one win recently they argued and the appellate court just above the, um, the court that this trial is in, the first department court of appeals in New York said that there is a statute of limitations that applies and certain of these transactions, she didn't bring her case fast enough and they fall off the continuum. They can't be the basis of her case under her broad powers of executive law 63-12 in New York, which is anti-fraud provisions for the attorney general. And they cut Ivanka out because of that, because she sort of fell off the things, the bad things that Ivanka could have been charged with happened before the statute of of limitations ran. So they're arguing again, that her case is too broad, that many of the properties and valuation issues that she continues to raise, Judge, are beyond what the appellate court said is the proper statute of limitations. You should shrink or dismiss that this case. I don't think he's gonna grant that. He does have to apply the appellate court decision, though, and get the dates right about what properties are in and out of the case, and I'm sure he will do that. So the case will, will be tailored a little bit more, but it's going to trial. He's gonna have to make this ruling. Ben, they just filed these motions a couple of days ago each side gets the chance to oppose it and file a, a last brief. And then the judge has to make a decision while they all get ready for trial. So, you know, that that's the, the fevered activity that's going on. While Donald Trump acts like nothing nothing's going on in his world, even though he's got seven cases set over the next nine months. I said on a hot take recently, I assure you, most The vast majority of law firms in this country do not, I would say 99% of them don't have seven cases set over the next nine months like Donald Trump does for himself.
0: And expect, I think, no matter what the outcome there is, Donald Trump to go to the appellate division on an emergency basis, try to ask for a stay or, you know, something on an emergency. So let's let's be aware that that's probably what Trump is planning to do as well. But I'm with you. Seven trials lined up like that, even for a large law firm of hundreds of lawyers. That would be a significant trial calendar. Um, but that's what Donald Trump has lined up. That's what we have lined up here to discuss on Legal AF. want to, again, thank you, Michael Popak, for... Uh, just being be my co-host, I, I, appre- I appreciate you so much. And we appreciate everybody here at Legal AF. The audience is so incredible. This community that you all built uh, as the Legal AFers, the Midas Mighty, is has been so strong and, and we're so grateful for everything that you do. Spread the word about this show. If it's even to one family member, friend, coworker, colleague, whoever, one, two, five people, ten people, twenty people post about the show. That goes a long way to help build this platform and spread these important messages about evidence, about about facts, about truth, and of course about our opinions. But our opinions are informed through a very rigorous analysis that we do here, and I don't think that really exists in many other platforms where we break down these filings in painstaking ways, and then we explain to you why we've arrived at our opinion, and you may agree or disagree with our opinions, but I hope ultimately what you'll respect is that they are rooted in what the evidence actually says. And um, and that's where I think that shouldn't be unique to a political party. Uh, Fortunately, that's the way it is right now that I think there's only one major political party right now, which is the Democrats in a pro-democracy coalition with a group of liberals, progressives, independents, people not affiliated with political parties and actual conservatives, not this MAGA Republican mutation of people who go hey we these are the facts, right? This is the evidence, right? And we could disagree on stuff, right? Yeah, but these are the facts and we 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 like our democracy, right? Yeah, check check check. That's to me where I think things are most uh, you know, you know most important. That's what we focus on here on the network. Remember to now check out the after show that we previously have recorded with Michael Popak. And so that's posted right now. You can learn about Michael Popak's origin story. Go to patreon.com slash touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash MidasTouch. Learn about Michael Popak's origin story now. Thank you to all of our sponsors. Make sure you click the sponsor links in our description, support them. We have some great sponsors and, I, and, and it's helpful that uh, when, when the sponsors are supported so they can renew on the show to also help grow the platform and the show. And for everyone who became a member on our YouTube chat, thank you so much for becoming a member. That goes a long way to help as well. Again, we don't have outside investors here, so it's kind of community-based support growth here. And and thank you for all of that. And no worries if 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 you're not, you know, a member. You know, hopefully you've gotten gifted one. But but if not, um, just share the videos. That's the best way that you can help. And uh, we so 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 appreciate you. Anyway, we'll see you next time. on Legal AF. Oh yeah, go to store.midastouch.com for all of the Legal AF gear. How could I forget about that? 100% union made, 100% made in the USA. There are those Karen Friedman, Agnifilo, and Michael Popak design <laughs> shirts. I love those Legal AF shirts. Thank you so much, everybody, for watching. We'll see you next time with, I'm sure, some more breaking historic news here on Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Mind.